This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This week, President Biden and the First Lady, Jill Biden, visited Kentucky after the state was hit by massive flash flooding, which in the last two weeks has killed 37 people and caused mass destruction. We never stop. We never bow. We never bend. We just go forward. And that's what we're going to do here. When speaking to residents who had lost everything, Biden was able to tout his Inflation Reduction Act, which is expected to get a vote on the House floor on Friday after narrowly being passed in the Senate last weekend. We've changed the world in a way that you rarely get an opportunity to do that. The landmark legislation was heralded as a much-needed victory for Biden and the Democrats as they head into a tough midterm election campaign season. But will it actually make a difference in the fight against climate change? I'm Joan E. Grieve, senior U.S. political reporter for The Guardian, stepping in for Jonathan Friedland, and this is Politics Weekly America. It was really hard to get this bill across the finish line, and you don't have to take that from me. Leah Stokes is a professor of climate and energy policy at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and the host of an environmental podcast called A Matter of Degrees. This was a really huge, momentous deal that it actually managed to pass the Senate. Leah actually advised Senate Democrats who worked on this bill. I tried to help with some offices, uh, design some programs, argue for how to make them stronger, um, remove fossil fuel things from the bill, that kind of thing. So it wasn't like I did the whole bill. This bill includes prescription drugs. It includes health care policies, tax policies. And, you know, even the climate provisions at $369 billion are vast. And no one person really worked on all of them. You know, it really was a team effort from people outside of Congress and, of course, huge numbers of staff inside Congress and the White House. And this bill is widely considered to be America's most significant effort yet to tackle the climate crisis. Can you tell us a little bit about what efforts the U.S. has made in the past to try to combat climate change and why have those initiatives failed? Sure. Well, you know, in the late 1980s, a scientist named James Hansen went in front of the Senate and he said climate change was happening and it was real and it was really serious. And Since then, the Senate has failed to really listen or do anything about it. Global climate change clearly is one of the most important of those challenges and also one of the most complex. 
in the 1990s under uh, the Clinton administration, there was an attempt to put basically a carbon price in place, we could say, you know, put a price on uh, fossil fuels. And then uh, when George W. Bush ran for president, he said he would do something. There was a proposal briefly to move forward on that. And then uh, Vice President Cheney stopped that from happening. Then in 2009, uh, there was a bill that passed the House called the Waxman-Markey Bill, which again put carbon pricing uh, at the center of its approach to taking on the climate crisis. This bill is nothing more than the economic colonization of the heartland by the coastal states like New York and California. And it failed to pass the Senate. There have been some successes along the way. In 2009, when the Recovery Act was happening, um, that was a big stimulus bill during the financial crisis. There was $90 billion spent for clean energy in that bill. So there have been little pieces here and there in, in energy policy acts, for example. But overall, we have just never managed to pass climate policy through the U.S. Senate. So let's talk a little bit about the details of this bill. It's called the Inflation Reduction Act, and it's seen as a kind of follow-up to Biden's Build Back Better bill, which was quashed by a member of his own party, Democratic Senator Joe Manchin, back in December. Question this morning, where do the White House and Democrats go from here? So what changed in those intervening eight months? How was this bill born? Well, there was a lot of... uh, hurry up and wait kind of time. So folks worked really hard when... There was an opportunity to add things to the bill, and then there was a lot of waiting to see if Senator Manchin would actually agree to do something. And he would sometimes say he would, and then he would walk away, and then he would come back, and it was kind of a long time waiting. Then about a month ago... Manchin says it calls for spending that will send inflation even higher. I haven't walked away from anything. Senator Schumer's office uh, told the press that Manchin had blown up the deal and walked away and he was not willing to do something on climate. And the whole thing fell apart. And a lot of other leaders uh, in the movement and even just business leaders, I think, privately went to Senator Manchin and said, what are you doing? This is not okay." And I think he didn't understand that Senator Schumer would call his bluff. So He um, secretly went back to Senator Schumer and they secretly negotiated in the basement of the uh, Congress. It's been reported. And then suddenly, a couple weeks ago, we begin with a big surprise in Washington on a bill that could affect Americans for generations. A press release went up on Senator Manchin's website that said uh, the Inflation Reduction Act was what he was going to put forward. And no one knew what the heck the Inflation Reduction Act was. Uh, That was a new branding. Now, most of the bill was the same. There was less money for many provisions. So it had moved from about $555 billion for clean energy and climate investments to around 369. So uh, a lot of programs were shrunk. And then Senator Manchin also added a few bad provisions to the bill. Uh, But the lion's share of the provisions that the House had passed were still intact, even if they were smaller. And as we've already talked a little bit about, there's a lot in this bill about helping to reduce health care costs for millions of Americans. But we're going to focus today more on the elements of the bill focused on tackling the climate crisis. So, Leah, how is the bill expected to help reduce emissions? And can you tell us a little bit about a few of the most important climate policies in this spending package? 
So the bill is projected based on three independent analyses, as well as Senator Schumer's own uh, team's work. It's projected to cut carbon pollution by 40% below 2005 levels um, by the year 2030. Okay, why does that matter? Well, scientists say that we have to cut carbon pollution in half by about 50% by 2030 if we want to limit warming to 1.5 degrees. So this bill would get us about 80% of the way to that target. It's also what President Biden has said he wants to do. He wants to cut carbon pollution in half. So this bill is a huge down payment when it comes to cutting carbon pollution. How does it do it? Well, there are a number of programs. Um, We can kind of put them into buckets. So the first bucket is it makes it cheaper for everyday Americans to get access to clean energy technologies. That's everything from an electric vehicle to a heat pump, a solar panel. All of these technologies help Americans save money. There are also huge amounts of incentives to clean up the electricity system. And there's two other buckets I want to mention. First, there's $60 billion to do clean energy manufacturing in the United States. That's going to help create good paying jobs, hopefully unionized jobs in the 21st century industries of the future. And then there's $60 billion for environmental justice investments to help clean up pollution for the communities that have really been on the front lines of the pollution crisis for a long time. That's everything from cleaning up pollution from ports to a program that uh, creates a bank so that communities uh, think about public housing projects, maybe even local governments could put forward programs to clean up pollution, especially in disadvantaged communities, um, and really get access to the low cost capital they need to make those projects work out. And the Inflation Reduction Act is also expected to bring in hundreds of billions of dollars for the U.S. government through tax changes and other new revenue streams. So, Leah, how are lawmakers planning to pay for the cost of this bill? Well, that's part of the good news here. It's actually all paid for off of making corporations and wealthy Americans pay their fair share. So folks have long argued that there are some companies that pay zero dollars in federal taxes. And this bill creates a 15% minimum tax rate for corporations. There are some exemptions, which is not great, but overall, that's a huge win. And that's going to bring in a lot of new revenue. No new taxes on anybody making $400,000 or less. Uh, You know, this is really for very wealthy corporations and wealthy people to pay their fair share. And it actually pays down um, the debt by $300 billion dollars, which was a priority of Senator Manchin's. So it's really um, a great bill uh, in terms of who is paying for this climate action. We have to say that Biden obviously didn't get everything he wanted in this bill. He needed to negotiate primarily with Manchin, who we've already talked a lot about, and another centrist Democrat, Senator Kirsten Sinema of Arizona. So, Leah, what were some of the concessions made to get those two senators on board? Well, when it comes to Senator Manchin, you know, he has made $5 million over the past decade off of fossil fuels directly. 
you know, that is way more money than he makes from his Senate salary. And of course, he also represents a community that has historically uh, been very tied to the fossil fuel industry, but that's actually changing quite rapidly in West Virginia. So, you know, he had his own interests and he's probably the most unlikely person to really be taking on the climate crisis. So unfortunately, he put some provisions in the bill that are not good policy. They basically say that in order to do clean energy developments on public lands and waters, things like offshore wind or solar um, on land, you know, that you have to also create auctions for offshore uh, drilling and onshore drilling. And what this bill does is it says, okay, you have to offer a minimum amount of acreage every year. It's lower than the 10-year historical average in terms of lease sales. And, you know, just because leases are offered does not mean that fossil fuel companies buy them. But it's just bad policy. It's not good for frontline communities who have been trying to stop any new fossil fuel development, for example, in the Gulf. But Senator Manchin was a veto player. He had to vote for the bill if it was going to pass. And that's what he wanted to stick in the bill. And this isn't the first time that Manchin has made things difficult for Biden. He and Cinema are known for going against the party line. And there are a lot of progressives in the party who see the pair as the reason why Democrats can't do more, right? I'll say first that Republican senators were universally opposed to this. There was not a single Republican senator that was willing to do the right thing for their own constituents in terms of protecting them from pollution, making sure we had a stable climate. Nobody from the Republican Party in the Senate was willing to do the right thing. And they take enormous amounts of money from the fossil fuel industry and have for really decades. So it's important to remember that. Uh, Senator Manchin also has taken money from the fossil fuel industry. He has received more money in terms of campaign contributions this Congress than any other member of Congress. So clearly there were people who were trying to sway his vote. Kirsten Cinema is more in bed with uh, the pharmaceutical industry, as far as I understand. And so other parts of the bill were where she was quite focused. The bill also tried to reduce the cost of prescription drugs for Americans. And that was something that she was quite difficult to get to agree to. So, you know, these senators have interests. They take money from corporations. That is not good. But it's really the Republican Party that is even worse on these issues. And the Democrats used a unique Senate procedure to get this bill passed. Most Senate bills are vulnerable to being filibustered, which means they need 60 votes to advance. And because the Senate is split 50-50, Democrats usually need to convince 10 of their Republican colleagues to get bills passed, which is extremely difficult in this highly partisan environment. But Democrats were able to avoid those problems with the Inflation Reduction Act, and Vice President Kamala Harris was able to be the deciding vote in favor of passing this bill. The yeas are 50, the nays are 50. The Senate being equally divided, the vice president votes in the affirmative and the bill as amended is passed. So how did they get this across the finish line? It's very hard to pass anything through the U.S. Senate. When Waxman-Markey, the last climate bill, was negotiated, there was actually 60 Democratic senators, right? That means they didn't have to use reconciliation, which is this budgetary process that allows you to just have 50 votes. So it's really hard to get through the U.S. Senate. But they managed to craft a bill that only focused on budgetary matters, that focused on spending. And that allowed them to only need 50 votes with Vice President Kamala Harris casting that tie-breaking vote. 
So that was really how the Democrats did it. It was not easy. They had to go through quite technical processes, including with the Senate parliamentarian, to make sure that everything in the bill was above board in terms of her rulings in order to get this bill across the finish line. And there are trade-offs when it comes to using the reconciliation process because of the strict rules that govern that process. What did Democrats lose from the bill because they passed it via reconciliation? Well, they couldn't put into place any sorts of regulations, we could say, you know, things that would strengthen the federal government's ability to, um, you know, regulate greenhouse gases. Now, it's important to note that the Biden administration has authority already under the Clean Air Act to do that. It would be good to have more authority, but um, they couldn't do that through this process as a result. I think overall, a lot of what they wanted to get done, they were able to do through reconciliation. More of the problems came up because of Senator Manchin being the deciding vote uh, as compared to just using the reconciliation process in the first place. And some of the negotiations that led to this final bill have sparked criticism among environmental activists. Leah, what are some of the biggest criticisms we're seeing when it comes to the climate provisions of the bill? Folks are very worried about fossil fuels in communities, and that's very legitimate. Fossil fuels poison communities. Overwhelmingly, black, brown, and indigenous people are on the front lines of pollution. And so when Senator Manchin put provisions into the bill that required fossil fuel leasing, that really is uh, upsetting to a lot of frontline communities, particularly in the Arctic and the Gulf, who live near these fossil fuel projects. So it's really hard fighting fossil fuel projects. Communities really are trying to do that. And it's not easy. They are fighting against a massive industry with huge, deep pockets. They were rightfully concerned that this bill could undermine some of their efforts. So what do you make of the argument that this bill simply isn't as revolutionary as Democrats are making it out to be? And is it fair to say that the Inflation Reduction Act doesn't go far enough? Of course, the Inflation Reduction Act does not go far enough. The climate crisis is massive. Uh, It will not be solved with one bill. I think the Sunrise Movement has been very clear about this. That's a youth movement of young people working to try to pass a Green New Deal, for example. They have been saying that this is an important down payment, that they want the bill to pass, but that it is not enough. It's just the first in a series of actions we need our federal government to take. And I agree with that entirely. You know, this is not enough, but uh, not doing it would be worse. When we think about the status quo, the world we live in without a bill, That is very bad. That is bad for communities of color. It is bad for young people. It's bad for really all Americans. And although there are parts of the bill that continue the status quo in a problematic way, there are many other parts of the bill that disrupt the status quo. And they also, importantly, are going to create a constituency of clean energy jobs, hopefully in every district and state across the country, which I'm hopeful will shift the politics, that it won't make it as easy for Republicans to party line oppose the bill. My own assessment is that overall, this bill is a really big step forward. And hopefully, if we were lucky enough to win more seats in the House and the Senate, we could even go back and clean up some of these provisions that people are really rightfully upset about. 
From a political perspective, do you think this bill could make a difference in the midterm elections? Biden's supporters are obviously hoping that this bill, with its large investment in climate initiatives and its provisions to lower health care costs for so many Americans, that it will really help convince voters to reelect Democrats in November. But does it feel to you like this bill is coming too late? I don't think it's coming too late. The campaign season is, of course, underway. We're less than 100 days out from an election. And, you know, we're seeing some hopeful signs, for example, in Kansas recently with um, a vote on an abortion ban going down really decisively in that state. There are some signs of voter registration going up, including in sort of conservative places. Hopefully they're going to turn out because they see what's at stake here. It's not just climate change. It's also about people's health care. It's about their reproductive rights. Um, It's about democracy, quite frankly, (laughs) you know. People should be freaked out about uh, the stakes here. And Leah, we always like to ask a what else question on our podcast, a question that is about something different happening in the news. But I wanted to stick with the environmental theme today, because in addition to the floods in Kentucky, California has been forced to grapple with the fallout of climate change in the form of deadly wildfires that recently have killed a few people and destroyed more than 100 homes. Fires have been raging in the western U.S. now every summer. Can anything be done at a federal level for the people who need help right now? The good news is that Governor Newsom in California actually passed $54 billion of climate and clean energy investments just last month in California. It includes investments in wildfire issues, you know, trying to protect families and homes from uh, wildfires. It includes lots of money to do the same kinds of things that the federal bill is going to do, ramp up clean energy, get people heat pumps to decarbonize their homes. There's lots of great stuff in that bill. So every single day is a day for potential climate action at the state and local level. The great thing is that both federal and state dollars in the case of California are going to start flowing to help make that even cheaper for Americans to get off of fossil fuels. And that's not just good news for their health and the planet. It's also really good news for their wallets because fossil fuels are really expensive. Well, that is a very good upbeat note to end the podcast on, which we don't get to do enough uh, around here. Professor Leah Stokes, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast this week. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. That's all for me this week. Unless you've been living under a rock recently, you may have heard that Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago Resort in Florida was raided by the FBI earlier this week. To hear all about why they turned up and how Trump and his allies responded, hint, not well, listen back to Thursday's episode of our sister podcast, Today in Focus. Hugo Lowell and Michael Safi discuss why, despite the seriousness of the raid, it could actually end up bolstering Trump who is expected to announce his intention to run in the 2024 presidential election. But for now, it's goodbye. The producer is Danielle Stevens, and the executive producer is Maz Ebtahaj. I'm Joan E. Grief. Thanks, as always, for listening. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.